We're in Hebrews, fam. We're in Hebrews, y'all. And we're in Hebrews chapter seven. So if you could turn there, um, when I read, um, I read for 20, 30 minutes. And then afterwards, if you got to go, you can go. We spend some time afterwards uh, reflecting on the scriptures and what the Lord is saying in that moment. Oh yeah, Philippians. I knew I've skipped. I probably skipped. That's, that, I, don't, I don't even know if I said Colossians. Did I say Colossians? Did I say Ephesians? Anyway, we read from Matthew to Hebrews. We're reading through the entire New Testament for 20, 30 minutes a day. You can do this. You can do this. And it is a powerful, powerful activity that you engage in. <laughs> it's a powerful activity that you can engage in. And so, um, and so we want to just spend time in the word. And that's what we're going to do. And we're going to pray. And this is what we're going to pray. We're going to pray to hear from God. What we're praying about is three specific things. We're going to pray for the Lord to reveal himself. That is that as we read the scripture, what is the Lord revealing to us concerning himself? As we read the scripture, we're going to ask, what has the Lord revealed to us concerning people? And then we're going to ask the question, God, what are you revealing concerning me? For you, it's you. But for me, it's me. And so what is God revealing concerning me? This is what we came here to do. So I don't have anything planned. I don't come with a sermon. I don't come with it. I just came to read the word. Wherever the Lord leads, that's where we're going to go. Uh, but we're going to posture ourselves that way to hear from God and to hear what God has to say to us this morning. And we've got the entire world. Did you see all the countries that just showed out? In Hebrews chapter 7, all the countries that have come to show out. We've got Namibia, South Africa. We've got uh, Uganda. We've got New Zealand. We've got Australia. We have uh, all the corners of the United States here. We've got France. We've got the UK. We've got London. We have, um, you know, almost a representative from a lot of the states here in the U.S. all coming together right now in this moment to engage in the reading of the word. God is not confined to a location. He is here with us. He is here with us. Yes, in the Caribbean, yes. We got people in Haiti and the Barbados and Jamaica who are here as well. The Bahamas who are here as well. So guys, this is our time together right now as we engage in the word of God. Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, as we read your word, Lord, let us hear from you. Let us hear concerning, Lord, who you are. Let us hear concerning, Lord, your redemptive plan for your people, your reconciliatory plan for your people. Father, reveal to us, Lord, what is necessary to be revealed concerning us as we are conformed to your image. Father, bless us in this time. Father, as we engage in your word, that we do not read this text without the help of your spirit, but with the help of your spirit, that we would be conformed to your image and given the privilege to partake in your glory. And we say that in your name we pray. Amen. Let's get right in on this. Hebrews chapter 7, y'all. Hebrews chapter 7. Hey, Hentoya. Hey, Greg. What's good? Angela, good to see you. Brenda, Avi, Joe. I've got my Facebook live group here as well as my TikTok family. If you, if you, if this is your first time or you've wondered, hey, I missed one of the reading rants. I missed one of the books that we read, missed one of the chapters or sections that we read. You can always catch up. Just go to the font everywhere. I have them there. I have them saved there so that way you can. Um, go back to it if you miss it at any time, even though we're not live, but we record the live there as well. So we've got our TikTok family and we have our Facebook family. And the Facebook group is a place where people are now encouraging each other, praying for each other. Um, we've got pastors, we've got leaders there as well. It's an incredible thing that even though we have not yet publicly promoted this thing, except for the you know me sharing it with you guys on TikTok, we're already within the last three weeks, we're at 511 uh, people in our Facebook group. So we have a family forming there. Uh, it is the church. It's the church because it's where 
um, believers are coming together to be discipled, to disciple each other, to encourage one another, to pray for one another. So love the Facebook fam who's here with us as well. So with that being said, let's dig right into it. Uh, Hebrews chapter seven, verse one, read along with me as I read. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but was made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abram gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood having, sorry, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, they have come from the loins of Abraham, but he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them. And whom it is witnessed that he lives, even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Hmm. Therefore, if perfection through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there for that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek? And not be called according to the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest hmm, who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For for on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of the weakness and the unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the beginning in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him, who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all, when he offered up himself. Hmm. For the law appoints high priests, men 
who have weaknesses, but the word of oath, which came after the law, appoints a son who has been perfected forever. Hebrews 8. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty of heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. Oh, my goodness. For if we were on earth, he would not be a priest. Since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and the shadow of heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed that he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day, in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws on their mind and write them on their hearts. <laughs> and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for he shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their, not, their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that, he says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now, what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Hmm. Hebrews 9. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinance of divine service and earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part, in which was a lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which was called the sanctuary, and behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which the golden pot had had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, the tablets of the covenant, and above it, the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now, when these things had thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the sacrifice, sorry, performing the services. But in the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he himself offered. And for the people's sins committed in ignorance, the Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. Oh, goodness. Verse 11. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come. With the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands that is not of this creation 
not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place for all, having obtained an eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. <laughs> for where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Oh my goodness. For testament is in force after men are dead since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Likewise, then. He sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. According to the law, almost all things were purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once the end of ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. As it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Oh God. Hebrews 10. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come. <laughs> Not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bull and goats could take away sins. Hmm. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifice for sins, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. Ah, he takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. 
Ah, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which could never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and in their minds, I will write them. Then he adds their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. For there is remission of these. Sorry. Now where there is remission of these, there's no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of truth, there's no longer remains a, sorry, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment a fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Hmm. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant which he was, sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who had, who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which you were illuminated. You endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both of reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became a companion of those who were treated for you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise for yet a little while. And he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. For we are not those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Oh, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your word. So bless us in this time and speak to us, Lord, as we engage in this. We ask that in your name we pray. Amen. Family. For those of you who are here for the first time, who are wondering what we're doing here, we call this the read and rant. We spend 20 to 30 minutes every weekday morning reading through scripture 
And afterwards, the family endures my rant, whatever that is. Endures my rant, and then we call it. I truly believe in the power of reading scripture. The word is spiritual food. Jeremiah says, your words came and I ate them and they were the joy and rejoicing of my heart for I am called by your name. His word is food. His word is nourishment. And what I love about his word is that when you begin to read it, not within these little slivers and pieces and slices, but you begin to read the word within the totality of the text, man, it just all comes together in this profound and powerful way. I say this to you because if you have not read Hebrews, because the book of Hebrews is such an intimidating book for a lot of believers. If you haven't read through Hebrews, you're missing a lot. <laughs> you're missing on what the implications of the gospel are. You're missing on the power of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. You're missing the centrality of Christ in all of this. Remember what we talked about last, uh, uh, the last reading that we did. And I don't want to spend all the time breaking down Hebrews for you. If you want to get that breakdown, go back and, and check out the reading rant at, the, at our Facebook group. It's called The Fun Everywhere. You can go back and check the previous ones. But we talked about the context in which he, Paul, not Paul, some believe it was Paul, others believe it was Paul. No one's really sure who wrote it, uh, entirely sure or certain who wrote it. There is no consensus. There's no theological consensus on who wrote this book other than the person who wrote this book knew Timothy very well. However, it's very Pauline in nature. So this person was very much influenced by Paul. We, 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 know, we, we get that sense as we read this. But this writer felt necessary to write this book to the Jews, to the Hebrews, the Jews who have now converted to Christianity. And now they're being tempted to go back into Judaism. What this begins to speak into to me, family, and for those of you who are of the faith, there's some people here who are atheists, there's some people here who are agnostic, people who don't know. That's fine. I love that you're here, and I'm glad that you're here. But I believe that the power of the book of Hebrews really comes out of helping break people away from these religious traditions that they familiarize themselves with. Hebrews delivers you from religion. It sets you free from religion. It sets you free from religious practice. It sets you free from performance. It sets you free from, you know, um, it, often I get these questions like, Pastor, is it a sin to do this? Or is it a sin to do that? Tell me what I ought to do and what I ought not to do. And, and sometimes I have to reorient people and back people up for a second and go, if you're asking what you ought to do, what you ought not to do, uh, you're asking the wrong question. Is it a sin to curse? Is it a sin to wear tattoos? Is it a sin to, uh, to you know, get a divorce and get married again? Is it a sin? Whenever you get these questions, they're asking you questions about the law. <laughs> what, what are the rules in the Bible? What does the Bible say about what's right and what's wrong? And it's not to say that we can't speak into those things. But I find that they're postured more in the sense of how can I be compliant to the Christian faith? How can I be compliant to God? Because for a lot of us, and please stick with me for a second here, family. There are those of us when we come into relationship with God, that initial moment of just being liberated from shame and from guilt of your past to find this new life in Christ Jesus, it's this incredible renewal, this rebirth, this feeling that we experience. But then afterwards, over time, 
we begin to creep into compliance. This is really, um, and, and, and this is where the Lord is leading me today as I'm reading this. This was written to a people who knew religion and now have been introduced to relationship. This is for a people who knew the Jewish faith very well. They're spiritual people. They knew God. They knew the practice. They knew all the laws and they knew them well, better than we do. They knew them well and they knew the cultural and sociological implications. They knew the spiritual implications of obeying the law. They knew it very well. But then they come to faith in Jesus Christ. But then there's that thing that happens after that moment. You see, after that moment, we have a tendency to creep back into laws. We have a tendency to creep back into rules. We have a tendency to creep back into what we do and don't do. Um, uh, what we read and don't read. How we should behave and ought not to behave. And don't get me wrong now. There's a way to live as a Christian. But it's not about just a lifestyle. It's about a relationship with God. And what Hebrews does for me, and this is why, like, even as I was reading it, I, I, I often get emotional in the book of Hebrews because Hebrews sets you free from religion. Hebrews sets you free. Hebrews sets you free from the law. Hebrews sets you free because Hebrews brings Christ to the center. I know I don't have enough time to break this down for you, so please go back and, and, and understand that this writer is writing within a context that many of us still need to really dig into and understand, that we need to understand what it meant to be a Hebrew, what it meant to be uh, uh, the child of Israel, a, cho a child of Israel, what it meant to be of a particular tribe, what it meant to be to follow a particular order and a particular sacrificial order and a sacrificial law. They knew that very well. Well, and they were subject to it very well. And it was very difficult for them to separate religion from culture because it was very much intertwined with who they were. And so now that they found this better thing, which is what Hebrews is, Hebrews is the book of better things. That there's a better thing. There's a better thing than following the rules. It's knowing Christ. There's a better thing than just following the laws. It's knowing God. There's a better thing than just doing the thing that the person before you or the generation before you did. There's something better than just the traditions that we pass down from generation to generation to generation. There's something better and it's Christ. He speaks about this new order of the priesthood because these people understood the implications of the blood sacrifice. They understood the implications of the blood offering. They understood these things very well and they practiced them very well. And yet the writer here is reorienting the people to say that this practice that you practiced in only gave you temporal absolvement. Ah, this law wasn't it. This law was a shadow of what is it. And if there's anything that this letter is revealing to me, I'm going to get to my point here because I only have a few minutes. I got to teach a class. But, but, but this letter, what, it, what it's revealing to us, and, I, and again, this is, this is one of the meatiest, if not the meatiest and weightiest book in the Bible because it requires you to know so much about so much in the scriptures because, let me back that up for a second, because just to help you out here, the book of Hebrews is really a, uh, I would call it an exposition of the Jewish tradition from a Christ-centered perspective. It was an exposition of everything the Jews or the Hebrews knew, but a reorienting of all these things that you knew as this guy's was leading us to something. This wasn't the end in itself. 
It was leading to something. This book references the Old Testament. It's referencing, you know, um, it's referencing Psalms. It's referencing Habakkuk. It's referencing Jeremiah. You see, he's quoting all these things. He's quoting, he's quoting Genesis. He's pointing us back to Exodus. He's pointing us back to Jeremiah. He's pointing us back to Proverbs, Habakkuk. So he's pointing us back to all these other scriptures that, that these people knew very well that they've memorized, that they've studied. He's pointing it all back and he's saying to them, guys, that wasn't an end to itself. Oh my goodness. The law wasn't an end to itself. The law had a purpose. That's right, Barry. Joshua. I mean, we just see so many references. The law was not an end to itself. Meaning, if I obey all the rules perfectly, if I know them very well and I study them very well and I have all this understanding and awareness and that's the end, is my understanding and awareness of the law, then we're already dead. This law was not meant to be an end to itself, but rather this law was meant to be a means to an end. And the travesty of religious people is they make the law the end to itself. Not a means to an end. So they submit themselves simply to the performance of the law and not the means by which the law exists because the person who wrote the law wrote the law to point to something. The law was meant to point to something. The law was intended to take us somewhere. The law wasn't just meant to be obeyed like a book of rules, but it was meant to point us to the necessity of Christ. I feel like I'm, I'm doing a whole, um, I, I didn't want to go sermonic on this, but I, I have to reorient. I know this is heavy. So if, you, if you're new to the faith, you're like, man, you, you lost me a long time ago. This is really difficult for me to do. Because I'm going to get to my point here. This is really difficult to do um, because it's such a theologically weighty book. And it was meant for people who were stuck in religion for, from generation to generation to generation to generation. So for those of you who are new to this thing, this Bible thing, I know it's a lot. So just stick with me here. Okay. Just stick with me here because you may know exactly what I'm talking about. People who have a form of godliness but have no power. People who have been religious for so many generations but lost the means to the end. People who grew up in church when growing up in church is good enough. People who did Bible study and grew up doing it when doing Bible study was good enough. People who knew how to speak in King James Version and say all the religious things that people say, blessed and highly favored. You know, that Christianized language that we have that's just sort of like this codified language. We grow up in church and we're good at church, but we're bad at Jesus. We're good at religion but we're bad at Christ because religion makes the means the end. This author is writing to those people. This author is writing to those people who have been freed from religion, but now are being tantalized by religion. He's writing to the people who they were liberated and got the message of Jesus Christ, but now are being tempted to go back to religion because get this, 
Religion is easier than relationship. <laughs> People say, well, relationship's a cop-out. When they say it's just about relationship, relationship is actually harder. Because relationship requires you to give up all of yourself. Relationship requires you to lose your life. Relationship requires you to give up everything you own unto yourself and to give it entirely to someone else. Now, it's a shared experience. And, and people who say, man, when people say it's relationship over religion, they say it's a cop-out. It ain't a cop-out. Actually, relationship is harder. How do I know that? Because religious people like to be told, what do I need to do so I can just do me? Relationship means I must lose myself in order to be in relationship with this person. And yet God is not a person that we just follow his laws. God is a person that we were intended to know. I'm trying to bring it down and make it as plain as possible that we have a church now who's grown up from generation to generation. When you ask them, do they know Jesus? What they will tell you is they know their denomination. What they're going to tell you is they know the rules. What they're going to tell you is, is that they know the law. What they're going to tell you is, is that they know what their pastors taught them. What they're going to tell you is they know what their pastor or preacher taught them. What they're going to tell you is, is I grew up four generations in the Kojic. Or they're going to tell you, I grew up five generations in the Presbyterian church. What they're going to tell you is, these are our tenets of faith and this is what we believe. What they're going to tell you is, these are the things I do because if I do them, I'm going to feel really good about myself for what I do. And, and so now, our faith is really more attached to culture and being connected to a people. So we believe to be part of a people, but we don't know God. And the travesty is, is that now, today, I'm sorry if I give this word of conviction because I'm getting to where I'm going. This book is written to church folks. This book is written to church people who just want to belong with a group of people. So let me choose a tenet of faith for which I can find belonging. We live in a day and age now where people, they want to belong. And so if I can believe all the things they believe, then I can belong in the group. That's right, Christy. There's going to be a day when even the preachers that preach the word, even with good theology, will come before God and he's going to say, I never knew you. Because we have now ignored our Heavenly Father for the sake of following rules and laws. There's a repentance that needs to happen in the church today because this book convicts me. It, it, should, it should convict, convict the church to say, have we made our faith a set of rules and doctrine? Or have we really sought after relationship with God? Because it's easy to fall, follow rules. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna break this down a little bit deeper tomorrow. I know I'm I'm, I'm short on time. So I'm gonna break this down a little bit deeper tomorrow because we're gonna finish Hebrews tomorrow. I'm gonna finish and I'm gonna really bring it, it's all gonna come full circle. But this book was written not to the unbeliever. This book is for church folks who are so used to doing church a certain way that they don't even know Jesus anymore. Whew. Oh, we prefer to know the sacrificial laws and the orders of things that must be done. But we ignore what it points to and what this letter is saying to these religious people is the law was not the end. It was the means to the end.
the law was not the end. Listen, I can exegete this scripture for days and days and days. I don't got the time for it. I'm going to give you my, my cliff note on this. He says it's not, what he's saying is it's not the mean, it's not the, it's not the end. It's the means to the end. The law was meant to point us to how dependent we are on a savior. The law was meant to reveal contemporaneously the perfection of God and how much we fall short. And all the law was, was a shadow. That's what the text says here. That's what we read. It was just a shadow. So if you make the law something you do for the sake of righteousness and holiness, then the law is of no effect. Because what did we learn in second and in first Corinthians that the strength of sin is the law. The law does not fix you. The law doesn't even make you righteous. What the law does is it points to your unrighteousness. It exposes the sin in your heart. It exposes what you are not and what you cannot do and how much you fall short. And he's saying all these things were meant to reveal to you that you actually cannot be righteous. And yet what Hebrews does is, is he articulates this richly to say all the stuff that you were doing before was just a shadow of things to come. It was a foreshadow of how God would impute his righteousness on us. The law was meant to point to what God is going to do for you. The law was meant to point to what Christ will do for you. The whole, the priest that is the mediator between the Israelites and God was meant to point to a better mediator that will mediate between all the children of God and God. The sacrifice that he pours out, the blood that needs to be shed for the remission of the sins of those people in that time were ineffective of all time but was meant to point to a truth that there is a sacrifice that is to come that's meant to pay the price for all sin. Ah, please see what he's saying here. He's saying that all the stuff that you've been doing as a church religiously was meant to point to the salvific work of Christ on the cross and how we can be reconciled in him. It was meant to point to the fact that God had a plan from the beginning and that this plan was Jesus and he was instituting and initiating and, and articulating and chronicling a story that would be climaxed by Jesus on the cross and culminated by our faith in him. I said to you last week, Jesus was always there. From the beginning, when man sinned, Jesus was there. From the beginning of creation, Jesus was there. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus was there. When Adam and Eve sinned, Jesus was there because God made a promise there that in her seed, she would bruise his head, the head of Satan, the head of the enemy. Jesus was there. Jesus was there when Abraham had made a covenant with God. When Melchizedek, who he says to us here, when we read in the text, Melchizedek had no lineage. He had no line. He had, look at the text. It's not just me. It's there. It's in the scripture that this king of Salem, this, this king of righteousness, this king of peace, right? This Melchizedek had no order. 
He had no genealogy. The text tells you right there, he had, he did not have a father, that he did not have a mother, that he did not have a genealogy. He did not have a beginning day. He did not have an end of life, but that he was made like a son of God. When, 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 when Abraham made the covenant with God to call upon a new people to institute his righteousness, he was talking to Jesus. Jesus was there all throughout the rest of the scripture. Every time they would go to the temple and make a sacrifice, Jesus was there. <laughs> Jesus was always there. Every time a high priest went into the tabernacle and the veil had to be torn, sorry, the veil had to be opened and he breached that veil to enter into the Holy of Holies. Jesus was there because the plan was always Jesus. We weren't meant to be subject to the law because the law, which is what he says, if the law was effective, then there wouldn't have been the necessity of a new covenant. I'm not making this up, family. We, we just read it. If the law was effective, then there would not be a necessity for a new covenant. The law was effective for what it existed for. The law was effective to point to Jesus. The new covenant made the old one obsolete because the new covenant revealed Jesus. One pointed to Jesus. So while we're trying to be perfect, God is saying, I've perfected you. While we're trying to get it all together, God is saying, I've already restored you. While we're trying to bring our sacrifices to God, God is saying, I've already brought the sacrifice. We go, well, what's the sacrifice? Jesus was the sacrifice. He was both the high priest and he was the perfect sacrifice. And from that, over, from that moment on, we don't need to seek a high priest anymore. Because he is our mediator. He says in verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their heart. I will be their God. And they shall be my people. In verse 12, he says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. In the next chapter, verse 12, now with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption, limitless redemption. He is now the new mediator, verse 15. He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. See that pointing to him pointing to him that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. What are you fighting for? What are you wrestling with? What are you trying to attain? What are you trying to win? Verse 26, he then would have suffered often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
guys, I'm not even articulating anything different other than I'm just reading the verses that are right in front of us. So Christ, verse 28, was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin. Jesus died for all of your sins. Jesus died for all of your sins. Not just your past sin, your present sin. Like, Jesus died for that. You're not guilty of that in Christ. That person you slept with last night, Jesus died for that. That affair that 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 you had, that you're in right now. You may be you may be with him now. You may be with her now. Jesus died for that. The sins that you're going to commit, Jesus already died for that. That, 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 that person that you're about to offend, Jesus died for that. That person that you're about to cheat on, Jesus died for that. That addiction that you have, Jesus died for that. <laughs> He's not looking for you to get it right. He wants you to be a relationship. And this whole time, we're over here trying to follow rules. But going back to verse 10 in chapter 8, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Hear this. He says, I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God. And they shall be my people. God doesn't want your compliance. He wants your heart. He wants to put his law, his, his law, his heart, his desire in your heart. He wants to be one with you. We're trying to be right before God and God is saying, I just need you to come and draw near to me. We are sanctified by the washing of the blood and by the washing of the word. And he's, he is the sacrifice. And now there need not be any sacrifice from us for our sins. We don't need to get it right to come to God. Just come to him and let him change your heart. You don't need to come guilty, but you can come boldly before the throne of grace. Religious people are some of the people who are consumed with the most shame. Because you've been performing and performing and performing and yet you feel like you fall short. You prayed, you prayed, you brought confessions to your priest and to your pastor. You said all these things and you've done all these things and yet deep down inside you're wondering, why can't I get it right? Because it's not about you. It's not about your performance. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to call you his and he wants to be yours. By one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified, but the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us for after he has said before, this is the new covenant I will make with them in those days. I'll put my laws into their hearts and into their minds. You are the written epistle. 
How do you turn from performance? Seek his face. Seek his face. Love changes things. Love changes people. Love will change your heart. Just love him. Verse 34 is, is, is a testimony for me is when he says, for you had compassion on me in my chains and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourself in heaven. While we were still sinners, while we were still in, in, in sin, he joyfully accepted the plundering of his goods because there was something better. You. Knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. There was something better better he wants relationship family this is for people who grew up in church this letter if you're new to the faith you're like man i don't know what he's talking about here's your word of conviction do not do not be tempted by compliance you must seek his face seek to be in relationship with him seek to know god because there are many of us, there are people right here who will say, I remember those days when I was just free in him. I was so free. I felt so free. And I just felt the Lord just, he changed my heart and changed everything. I hear this testimony all the time. But then after a while, I began to lose that fire and that steam. And I just got to just doing Christian things. Because we went back to sacrifice and not to the sacrifice, not in the sacrifice. He is a better savior. He is a better sacrifice. He is a better high priest. And I hear the Lord saying this morning, return to your first love. Don't be tempted by rules and laws. Re return to your first love. Because the rules and the laws will be written on your heart. I got to go, fam. I got class, but I want to pray. I hope this was a blessing to you guys. Um, if you miss the read and rant, you can follow the font everywhere. It's a Facebook group that we've created. Um, I save the read and rants on there. And, um, and also it's a community where you can um, you can send prayer requests. Um, you can share what you're going through. There's a family there who wants to be connected with you, who, who loves you and, uh, and wants to pray with you. So please go ahead and, and check that out. There, there are people who will intercede or pray for you. Um, but I really pray that this would realign you. I know we're going to close out Hebrews because there's so much I wanted to close out with. But please, family. Return to your first love. Be free from religion. Seek relationship. Because the law has been made of no effect. Because the law in and of itself is not the end. It's the means that points to the righteousness of God and our dependency on our righteousness in Christ. Love you, family. Father, I, I pray, Lord, that you would realign our hearts. Lord, there are those of us, even today, as we are listening to this, who have tablets of stone with the law that has been engraved on it. And yet you made this commitment to the word, Lord, that you intend to Lord, turn our tablets of stone into tablets of flesh. 
that we would become your written epistles, that the law would not be written on stone, but written in our hearts. That we would know you, that we would have relationship with you, that we would have intimacy with you, that we would seek your face. So Father, bless each and every person who's hearing this right now, who's engaging in this word. Father, I pray that your spirit would do as we've read in this word. Reveal, Lord, the truth of the better covenant. For it can only be revealed by your Holy Spirit. And yet right now, I'm praying for the impartation of your Holy Spirit. I'm praying for the revelation of your Holy Spirit for each and every person who hears this right now, Father who's in this moment, engaged in this word in this moment, Father, I pray that you would loose the chains of religion, that you would loose, Lord, the bondage of the law, that you would set your people free, that they would live a new life in you under grace. Ah, we thank you, Lord, for all the testimony and the transformation that is to transpire, for we believe the time is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. And we say that in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.